0: Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Amen and amen, church. He is risen. He is risen yes, listen, this is like the Super Bowl after party right now. I mean, this is, it doesn't get any better than this for me and for you. And in fact, we know that we are celebrating victory all the days of our lives, not just today, but every day, because Jesus is risen, not just today, but every day. This is the 1,988th annual Resurrection Sunday service. It happened nearly 2,000 years ago, and here we are today celebrating what Jesus has done. Come on, somebody give him some praise. Yeah. Listen. They say some traditions are worth keeping. And I say that this is worth keeping. Amen? Amen. So hey, if you're a guest with us this morning, we want to welcome you. We're so grateful that you've come to worship with us this morning. And what a great time to come. There is a card in the seat back pocket in front of you called a connect card. If you grab that card, fill it out, take it to our welcome center, which is directly across from the main sanctuary doors. We have some information about who we are, what we believe, and we have a little gift card to our coffee shop. So make sure that you fill that out and take that over there. If you're in the overflow area, you can uh, grab one of those from one of the ushers. Uh, they'll, they'll make sure that you have a card and a pin to fill that out. I um, also want to welcome everybody online. We're glad that you're connecting with us this morning. Anybody that's listening to this later, uh, so glad that you're tuning in with us. This is an extraordinary day to be at church. Like every Sunday is extraordinary, but especially this day because of the importance of what the resurrection represents for you and I today. This is not just a miracle that is worth remembering, but it has, listen, personal significance. It has personal significance for every single person in this room. You might be here today and you are like totally not understanding why these people are being crazy about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but I hope by the end of this that you too will join in. And, uh, you know, I can't hardly lift my hands because my shirt's tucked in, you know, but I kept doing this in worship, but I was trying. But, but hopefully by the end of this, I don't care if my shirt comes out, you know. I, I'll just be celebrating the Lord, and I hope that's you as well because this Resurrection Sunday has something meaningful for each and every one of us. And um, I want to invite you to join me as we look at the very first Resurrection Sunday service. It happened to be Sunday evening. And so if you have a Bible, uh, turn with me to John chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one. John chapter 20. And my message this morning is entitled, Resurrected Savior, What It Means for Us. Resurrected Savior, What It Means for Us. Uh, John chapter 20 And once you are there, stand with me, and we're going to read this account. It's awesome to see some familiar faces in here today. Some people moved away, some people that haven't seen in a while. So it's so good to see you guys, man. Um, John chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. Sorry, we don't want to start there. We'll, we'll, be, we'll be here all day. I know you guys don't mind that, but we're going to be looking at verse 19. Verse 19, where it says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, came, uh, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. This morning we ask you, to help us understand what this means for us personally. Jesus, you are a personal God. You came in a very personal way to take the personal place of every human being on this earth. You paid the price so that the sins of the world could be washed away. And your death becomes effective in our lives when we believe upon your finished work upon the cross through the grave risen Savior. And we pray this morning, Lord, that you help us to glean something out of this passage that would be personal to us, each and every one of us. We ask for your Holy Spirit to come and speak and touch hearts and do the work that only you can do, Father. Father, I pray that you get me out of the way, that you would be seen this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 And some of you are seeing the same thing. Get him out of the way, Lord. He's in the way. Come on. Listen, I want to take you on a journey this morning to the very first Resurrection Sunday. Again, it's the evening of the first day of the week. We don't just have to go to church on Sunday morning. You know, we can do church at night. We can do church on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday or Saturday. We can even do a Saturday night service. Did you know that? So here's the thing is, these are traditional things. But we worship God no matter where we are, no matter who we are, no matter what night of the week it is or morning of the week, we can worship the Lord. It happens to be the evening of the first day of the week, which is Sunday. And it doesn't really go like you would expect it. Uh, You might expect this first resurrection service to be something a little bit more like what we're doing this morning, but in fact it was not wasn't anything like this. We, we read the, uh, you know, the, 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 the situation there. We see that the, rather than excitement and celebration, we find fear and intimidation. The disciples are doubtful and they are uncertain. Uh, you know, they, they don't understand exactly what's going on, what's transpiring, although they, they have heard and even some of them have seen Jesus. And yet they are still uncertain about where he, where he is and what's going on there. And so this service begins in a very odd way. And yet by the end of Jesus' interaction with these ten dudes, we see total transformation happen. We see their lives change. We see when Jesus shows up that he brings some significance, personal significance to each and every one of them to the point that they're glad that they see him. No longer are they afraid. No longer are they uncertain about what it is that they are called to do. They know specifically. My goal for you this morning is that you too would be transformed in such a way that you would leave here with the message of the gospel burning in your heart so that you can continue the work of the Great Commission in our world. I'm believing that Jesus will remove fear, doubt, uncertainty, so that, uh, you you know, the, the things that so easily cloud your minds and replace them with four specific things, with peace, purpose, power, and pardon. These are the four things that we find in our passage this morning that come by way of a resurrected Savior. They can come no other way. They only come through a resurrected Savior. We begin with peace. Look at verse 19 with me. It says, on the evening of, the first, uh, of, of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked were where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad. When they saw the Lord, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Now imagine with me that you're a... You're a, a disciple of Jesus. You've walked with him for three and a half years or so. You, you develop this sort of intimate relationship with him. You're close to him. You consider him family, like real family, like beyond blood kind of family. You know, he makes himself so available to you. You, know, you can fully trust him, confide in him, rely on him because he's become a rock in your life. He is an anchor to your soul, You've had lots of laughs with Jesus. You've shed lots of tears with Jesus because of the kind of person that he makes you to be, completely transparent. You feel so comfortable with him, and and now all of a sudden he's just taken away from you, completely feels like he's ripped from your life. No warning, although he did actually warn them. No planning, although he did actually let them know that this was coming. And what's more troubling to you is the manner in which he was taken. It was savage. They took Jesus like he was the criminal of criminals. They came with just a, a, a bunch of soldiers and, you know, ready to, for war. Of course, Jesus freely gives himself to them and goes with them and then the way that they treated him. He was beaten beyond recognition. And if that wasn't enough, then he was executed by way of the cross. If you're not familiar with that means of death, it is a criminal's death. Like, it was for the vilest of people in that culture. And Jesus died that way. His followers, his friends, his family all in observation of everything that happened to him. How do you feel in that moment? What do you think you're lacking? Comfort? Confidence? What about morale and the message that he's given you to preach? My guess is that you would be completely lacking peace. We know that place all too well, don't we? Lacking peace. Circumstances come in our lives, and before we know it, we are up in arms in our hearts. We're afraid. We're nervous. We, we are uncertain about what might come. Maybe it's a diagnosis from a doctor. Maybe it's the loss of a job. Maybe it's your economic impact, you know, something going on in your, um, you know, finances. We know what it's like to lose peace. And that's by design, by the way. God wants you to understand What the lack of peace feels like so that you can feel what real peace feels like. He wants you to understand that without him, we can have no peace. Peace is a God-given attribute that only comes through Jesus Christ. Listen, the world can offer us false peace, but only Jesus can offer us real peace. He is the Prince of Peace. And he wants to offer peace to us this morning. The scripture declares to us here that on the first resurrection Sunday, the disciples were lacking peace. They were afraid. They were in behind locked doors in the upper room there. And, uh, you know, what do you think they were doing? They certainly weren't playing Jenga, were they? They weren't like, you know, in a a mad game of Scrabble there. No, they were afraid for their lives. Why? Why? Well, because of what happened to Jesus, number one. Number two, because there was now a rumor circulating through Jerusalem already, you know, given by the religious leaders that the disciples had stolen the body of Jesus and they were hiding him somewhere, right? So they have that going on. Not only that, maybe something that maybe you wouldn't even be thinking about in this moment, but what about when, if Jesus really did raise from the dead, what are they going to say to him? Sorry, bro. Hey, sorry I bailed on you, Jesus. Sorry, uh, you know, I, 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 I fleed from the situation and left you by yourself. I mean, what are you going to say to him when you look him in the eyes? Man, I, I'm so glad that when I find myself in those situations, when I'm fearful, when I've blown it, when I'm ashamed, and I have no idea what I'm going to tell Jesus regarding why I failed him yet again, that Jesus comes and stands in my presence and he presents himself to me and he speaks peace over my life. That's exactly what he does to his disciples and that's what he does to all of his disciples. He wants to bring peace into your hearts. It's interesting that the very first word that he says is shalom. It's Hebrew for peace. Two times in these verses, in these three verses right here, we, Jesus says to them, peace be with you. It was a common greeting of the day, but not in this moment. This was no common greeting. Jesus was giving them something that they lacked all the way up until this point. They could never have true peace until Jesus had gone to the cross, died for the sins of the world, and then risen again from the dead. So the peace that he's speaking over their lives is brand new to them. Totally different than anything that they have ever experienced. He says, peace be with you. It's personal. And he wants every single person to feel that perfect peace, that true peace, the only peace that he can bring. Sin has wrecked that peace in our lives. In the Garden of Eden, uh, you know, when Adam and Eve sinned, true peace was lost. And we became enemies of the Father. Thankfully, God didn't just leave it there, right? But actually, he acted on our behalf immediately in the Garden of Eden when true peace was ripped away from Adam and Eve and from all of humanity. God immediately said, I will restore True peace, and in fact, he says to the serpent in the garden, Genesis three fifteen. He declares this fact when he says, "I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel." You know what he's saying here? You know what God is saying to Satan in this moment? I'm going to send my son. Jesus Christ, he is going to die on a cross, and he's going to raise from the dead, and he's going to crush your head. That's what he's declaring in these moments. He's declaring victory, um, you know, right at the fall. God intercedes on man's behalf immediately. I want you to get the understanding here that God isn't up in heaven just going, well, they better figure it out. No, he steps into your mess and he brings solutions to your problems. There was no other solution for this problem except for him bringing his son into the picture. Notice it says that it was by the, by the offspring of the woman. It, literally, that word there can be translated seed. A woman doesn't have a seed. A man has a seed, a woman doesn't have a seed. And so what he's speaking of is God would give the woman the seed through the Holy Spirit, virgin birth, impregnation. It's all right here in the very beginning when, when uh, you know, man failed, God showed up and he promised the Messiah to come. Not only that, but then, you know, this is prophesied all through the Old Testament. In fact, the, prophes- uh, the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 53, 5, uh, he says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon, his, upon him was the chastisement that, listen, brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed Paul said it like this in Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What are you lacking today if you're not in right relationship with Jesus Christ? Is God the peace with God? You're lacking peace. Not only peace with God, but you're lacking peace with man. Not only that, but you're lacking peace within. True peace from Jesus Christ is threefold. You gain that reconciliation with the Father, peace with God. You gain that reconciliation with man, peace with others. Then you gain that peace within. Jesus Christ comes and fills your heart and gives you a peace that surpasses all understanding. He is the Prince of Peace, and he's come to restore peace. Now notice, he speaks peace over their lives, but check this out. Then he shows them the means of peace, Can you imagine Jesus saying, peace be with you, and then he just does this, and you see right through his, through his hands, through the hands and his wrists, and he shows you his side, and you see the gashing gape where that, that spear was thrust into him. He shows you the marks of the peace that he came to bring. Do you know that Jesus will bear those marks for all of eternity? And in fact, the writer of Revelation, John, the apostle, says this in Revelation 5, 6. I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. This is in heaven. Jesus Christ ascending to the Father. John seeing him after the fact says, I saw Jesus slain. And in fact, the Bible tells us that he was slain from the foundation of the world. But the marks were there that visible for him to see. Not only that, but in the millennial reign of Christ. When Jesus comes back, the second advent of Christ, when he comes to set up his physical kingdom on this earth and he reigns and rules for 1,000 years. Listen, during that 1,000 years, Zechariah tells us in chapter 13, verse 6, and if anyone asks him, speaking of Jesus, what are these wounds on your back? He will say, the wounds I have received in the house of my friends. Jesus will bear the marks of the peace that we seek for all of eternity. This is what entitles him to be able to give us peace today. Listen, the world tries to offer us peace in a lot of different ways, but I want you to know that there is no psychologist that can give you the peace that Jesus can give you. There is no counselor that can give you the peace that Jesus can give you. Not that we don't seek those things, but Jesus is our peace. There's no doctor that can write a prescription to you to give you the kind of peace that Jesus is offering you today, friend. It can only come through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and he's here to give it to you. You might find yourself this morning behind locked doors, full of fear. Understand, the Lord is presenting himself to you right now. He's able to walk right through walls. He walked through those walls, and he's certainly able to walk right through the walls you've surrounded your heart with. And he makes himself present in that moment, and he says, peace to you. He wants to give you peace, but you have to receive it. First and foremost, you have to make him the Lord of your life. You truly want that peace today. And you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Today is the day. You lay your life down. You open your heart to him and allow him in. And you will find a peace that is beyond anything you've ever experienced. Here's the thing. It does not mean your circumstances will change. But what it means is that he will give you peace through every circumstance, through every situation that you find yourself in in life. He is the Prince of Peace. The resurrected Savior wants to bring you peace. Secondly, he wants to give you purpose. Look at verse 21 here. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you." Mankind has been created to have purpose. We don't create that purpose, we just fulfill it. The problem is that we have a failure to launch as it relates to the purpose within many of our lives today. We have no idea what we're supposed to be doing. And we're trying to figure that out. And so we're diving into anything that looks interesting because we're thinking, well, maybe this is my purpose. Well, maybe this is my purpose. Or maybe this is my purpose. And so we're seeking through the world, trying to figure out what is it that I'm supposed to be doing. I can make it super clear for you this morning. And in fact, if you're looking to figure it out this morning, if you really want to know what your purpose is, I'm going to tell you in a minute. It's very clear in the Bible. Interesting enough, we all have the same purpose, by the way. But you have a specific purpose, a God-designed purpose in this life. And once you figure that out, everything else will fall into place because your purpose is not to build anything on this earth. Do you know that? Your, your purpose is not to create something great for the, 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 on this earth. Your purpose has, it has to do with eternity. And that's why so many people miss it, because we spend so little time trying to, uh, you know, make the kingdom of God known or knowing God as much as we can possibly know him, and so we, we miss the entire purpose of our being. I'm so glad that Jesus didn't wander through Nazareth as a teenager going, man, what am I supposed to be doing? I have no idea. I guess I'll go sand some wood with my dad. You know, I guess I'll go make some, make some tables and stuff. I guess that's my purpose. No, he knew exactly what he was supposed to do. And in fact, he said, the Father has sent me. Do you know when Jesus was a little boy, I think he was 12 years old, when he went to the temple for the first time, that he was, he was left there by his parents? What in the world are you doing leaving Jesus in Jerusalem? I mean, you know, that is, you, you get the um, child protective services called on you in this day and age for doing something like that, right? Well, he purposely left. He, he, he escaped from his parents' <laughs> And he finds himself sitting in the temple talking to all these religious people, these wise men, and they're they're with profound truths, and they're just like, well, blown away by him. His parents come after, uh, you know, a several-day journey back to Jerusalem, by the way. My parents would have been ticked. I don't know about your guys' parents, but I would have got my butt beat bad. I would have been in big trouble. And, uh, you know, uh, Jesus, his parents say, what are you doing? And what does he say to them? I have to be about my father's business. Jesus knew his purpose from the moment. Well, he's Jesus. Well, I'm telling you, it's super clear for you too. You don't have to figure it out. It's already presenting itself to you. The question is, are you willing to do it? Because Jesus said the father has sent him, and even so, I send you. You want to know what your purpose is? You're a sent one. You're supposed to be a sent one. In order to be a sent one, You have to be sent by Jesus. That means you have to know him personally. You have to become his disciple. That's what that word, that disciple meaning, that learner. You learn from Jesus and then you're sent into the world to deploy the the message that he has given you to deploy. You You have to know him first. That's your first purpose in life. Number one purpose in life, to know Jesus. Just write that down. What is my purpose? To know Jesus. And once you've accomplished that, then your purpose changes. There's really only two things that you need to to know about your purpose. Number one, you need to know Jesus. And number two, you need to make him known. then you're sent into the world to tell other people about him. Notice that doesn't have anything to do with your career. It doesn't have anything to do with what kind of car you drive or what kind of house you have or how much money you have in the bank or anything like that. What it has to do with is mission and purpose and knowing what you were created for because the Bible makes it super clear. We're not of this world. Those who belong to Christ are not of this world. When we become Christians, we don't try and get as much of this world as we can. We're trying to give Jesus to as much of this world as we can. We try and give back what Jesus has given us. That's the point. That's your purpose. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, you know the verses 18 through 20, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, you're sent. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus commissions every one of his followers to go and make him known in the world. That is your sole purpose. And that looks, looks differently in all of our lives, but the purpose is the same. You know, you can be a grocery store worker, and, but your purpose doesn't change. That's just, that's just the means to, for you to be able to connect with people so that you can build relationships and share the gospel with them. We need to start thinking of life like that. Like every place that my feet touch, every place that God leads me to is my mission field. I'm supposed to be doing far more than just making a living or, you know, enjoying whatever it is that I'm enjoying. Not that we don't enjoy life, we should but not to the extent that we lose our purpose. Your purpose is to make him known in this earth. And when we do that, God gets all the glory. Do you know that? He gets all the glory. Jesus did everything that he did for the glory of God, and we should do everything that we do for the purpose of glorifying God. The resurrected Savior gives us peace. Secondly, he gives us purpose. And now we find that he also gives us power. Look at verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this isn't the first time the disciples have heard Jesus speak about the Holy Spirit. Jesus spoke about the Holy Spirit often, and what a blessing the Holy Spirit would be in their lives. And in fact, he went on to say to them, to his disciples there, in John chapter 16, verse 7, listen to this. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. Now, most of us would say, nah, I'll take Jesus. I'd rather have Jesus with me, walking with me in the physical form, you know, showing me what this looks like and all this kind of stuff. But Jesus said, no, you wouldn't. Jesus said, in fact, it's better for you. That I don't walk physically with you, um, you know, side by side in the flesh showing you these things. It's better for you, in fact, for me to go away so that I can pay for your sins so that you can become a holy vessel that can be filled with God himself inside of you and that he will lead your life from then on. He wants us to uh, understand that his purpose was to die on the cross to reconcile us to God. And then the Holy Spirit's purpose is to come and fill us and give us power to live the life that we're called to live. Now, some of us, I don't know, you know, kind of how we think about this, but when we talk about inviting Jesus into our heart, a little Jesus doesn't come inside. I don't know if you know that, but like little Jesus doesn't walk inside your heart, open the door and go, here I am. Actually... We're, we, we, that's really kind of a terrible... I say it sometimes, you know, because it's just something that we say. It's a Christian kind of saying or whatever. But when you invite Jesus to be the Lord of your life, what happens is the Holy Spirit comes inside of you. Jesus paid the price for you so that the Holy Spirit could come inside of you, so that you could be, receive the power that you need to walk the life that he's calling you to walk what I'm really trying to tell you is that as far as it relates to disciples and what God is asking us to do we have the capacity to do it because we have the power of God within us to do it we have the spirit of God within us and so you know we are to, to a large degree without excuse it's to our advantage Jesus said that the Holy Spirit come inside of you. If Jesus is telling me that it's to my advantage, I probably should listen to what he's saying. Some of us don't even know who the Holy Spirit is is, or what the Holy Spirit is or anything, and and that's okay. You know what? Because all you need to know is Jesus came for you. He died on the cross for you. He paid the penalty for your sins so you can be reconciled to the Father. He'll take care of the rest. You don't even have to worry about it. You will notice the power of the Holy Spirit in your life because what will happen is you will have a changed life. You will have a changed life. You will no longer be the same. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anybody's in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. Everything's become new. Why? Because you have God inside of you. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. It's so interesting to me the way that Jesus deploys the Holy Spirit upon his disciples. This is illustrated for us. This is, this is really not for, this is for us to understand how all of this works, because Jesus had to die. Before Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the dead, before he rose, the Holy Spirit did not reside in man. It did, the Holy Spirit did not live inside of man. He had to pay the price first. When he paid the price... Now he wants to show us what happens when we become his follower. And so he steps into their their chaotic situation there, and he goes, receive the Holy Spirit. I love that. I love that Jesus breathes his breath on him. And And it draws me back, and I say this a lot because it's so profound to me. Because here's what happened. Maybe you know this in the Garden of Eden, um, you know, when God formed man from the dust of the ground, um, it says that he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. So you know how you're a little kid and you're making little mud pies and stuff? Could you imagine you have that, you just blow and the thing comes alive? You're like, whoa, how awesome would that be? That's what he did. But do you know it was Jesus, his creator. He's creator the Bible tells us. And he blew that breath into Adam's lungs. Interesting because it's Jesus as the Savior of the world now, the resurrected Savior who again blows the breath of life into his disciples. They were at this moment born again. That's just what it means to be born again. We are spiritually dead as a result of sin. And we need to be we need life to come inside of us. That's why Jesus said, I came to give them life, and that more abundantly. He wants to have life in us. Some of us feel dead inside, and, and maybe we are dead inside because we're not in right relationship with God. We don't have that spiritual connection with God. We don't have, we're spiritually dead, and so we feel numb in life. We don't understand our purpose. We don't understand what we're supposed to be doing, and it's frustrating. But I'm here to tell you this morning that you need Jesus to breathe on you. You need Jesus to blow his breath of life in you. And when you do that, you're born again. You become a new person. And what an illustration it is that the Lord uh, would, would do that for us. He would show us that. Life began under what is called the federal headship of Adam and and it was lost under the federal headship of Adam, and then redeemed life came again under the federal headship of Christ through the very same breath of life, the holy Spirit and here 's the beautiful thing about this is that when you have the Holy Spirit, you have the son that 's what the Bible tells us guarantee. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 and 14. In him, Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of your inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. It's the idea, you know, of the medieval times where the, you know, the nobleman or the, you know, somebody important would write a letter and they would roll it up or whatever, they put a blot of wax on it and then they would take their ring, which is a signet ring, and they would, they would put a stamp on that, that hot wax and it would leave an impression and then they would go deliver that scroll to somebody and they would look at that, that signet, um, you know, emblem on that wax and they'd say, oh, this is from so and so. It's authenticating uh, the letter. It's authenticating the, the deliverer of the letter saying, this is from me. This belongs uh, you know, to you from me. And so what God has done is done that with the Holy Spirit inside of you. He's put your, his signet stamp upon your life. It's a promise that you belong to him. That is, that is awesome you know, that, that God would make it known to us that we belong to him by giving us the guarantee of our inheritance. Until we possess it. All through life, you don't have to wonder. If you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you have a guarantee of an inheritance until you possess it. Listen, I don't know if you're a believer here today and you struggle with your salvation and you're like, I don't know if I'm saved. I feel, you know, I still sin. Well, welcome to the club. You know, we all still sin. The question is, is not, do you still sin? The question is, are you growing in your faith? The question is, do you have a desire to know Jesus? The question is, have you laid your life down to Him? That's, that's really the question. If God was after perfection, we'd all be in big trouble. There was only one perfect man, and His name was Jesus. And that's why we put our faith in Him and what He's done for us. You know, and, and that, that doesn't mean we go do whatever we want to do, but the point of the matter is this. If you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you you're secure in Christ. Your life is in His hand. And the Bible tells us nothing can take us from His hand. I want you to know this morning that you can know that you know that you know that you know that you belong to Him if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And how do I know that? Because He produces fruit in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness self-control. Are you the same person you were prior to accepting Christ? Then you might ask yourself some questions. But the Bible says when there's a transformation, and you'll be continually transforming, and that's the, that's the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Now, the reason why the Holy Spirit is so important is because it's impossible for us to fulfill the purpose of God without the power of God. And that comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, Jesus' last words to his disciples before he ascended into heaven. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And then the very next scene we find Jesus... Um, We find Jesus' disciples hanging out in the upper room. And you might know the story. It says there was a mighty rushing wind that blew through there. That was the Holy Spirit moving through that place. And it says that all the people outside of that upper room heard them speaking in their native languages, which which kind of made them curious, like, what in the world is going on there? And remember, Peter came down, and he spoke the gospel over these people. And you know what? 3,000 people got saved in that moment like that. Why? Because of the power that was sent upon them to be witnesses into all Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And God wants you to know that you have the same power to be his witness through his Holy Spirit. We can't do anything outside of the power of the Holy Spirit. We need that power to be his witness. Well, not only does the resurrected Savior give us peace, purpose, and power, but he also gives us pardon look at verse 13 or oh, 23 I'm sorry if you forgive the sins of any they are forgiven them and if you withhold forgiveness from any it is withheld there is no greater news to the guilty than to hear that you are pardoned can you imagine you know sitting in a courtroom you've done something wrong You know that you're guilty. And yet, the the judge calls your name. Anybody gotten a speeding ticket before and they call your name and you're like, heart's pumping, you're going up there? Happens to me all the time. I just, uh, (laughs) I need to learn my lesson. Lord, forgive me. (laughs) They call your name and you walk before that, that judge. He's the authority in that room. It doesn't matter what you think about it. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about it. He's the guy that makes the decisions, right? And so they call your name and they say, hey, uh, you did this, 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 and this. Are you guilty? And because you're honest, you say, yeah, I'm guilty. And he says, well, don't worry about it. Somebody has paid the price for you. You're free to go. You're pardoned. This, this, this is not on your record. You'll never, no one will ever know that you did these things. That's what Jesus did for you in the judicial court of heaven. That he came before the Father and he said, Tim Romero did this, 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 and 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 this. Jesus is like, man, is my blood going to cover all this stuff? (laughs) Not really, but. And you know what? Jesus said, "I'll, I'll pay for it. Whatever it is, I'll pay for it. When I came to faith in Christ, He went before the Father and He pled His blood upon my life and He paid the price for me. And I was pardoned for my sins. The sins were no longer on my record. How many of you guys have ever gone to traffic school? Anybody, like two of you, you're not being honest here. You're lying right before God here. (laughs) Listen, when you go to traffic school, It's as if you didn't speed, right? They don't put it on your record. Jesus removed everything that was on your record. It was there, and now it isn't. He's pardoned you. He stepped in the gap for you. How do we receive that pardon? By faith. Paul said this in Acts chapter 13, verses 38 and 39. He said, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Jesus paid the price for you. It's not about you trying to keep the law perfectly. You can't do that. You know, the Bible tells us if we, if we sin against any part of the law, we're guilty of it all. The whole weight of the law comes down upon you. The wages of sin is death. And so, we're all in a pickle. We're in big trouble. But Jesus stepped into the gap, and he paid the price. And the way that we access that pardon is by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. That's how we do it. We put our faith in him. Um, Why is Jesus enough for us, you might ask? Well, because he lived a sinless life. The Bible says he was the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. This draws us all the way back to the exodus in Egypt. When the children of Israel were, were, were leaving Egypt and that the, on the 10th plague, the Lord said, I want you to take a lam- an unblemished lamb. I want you to slay the lamb. I want you to take the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorposts and the lentil of your house, and you stay inside. You stay inside of that, covered by the blood of that lamb. And you consume that lamb and all of these things. And and he says, when the angel of death passes over your home, and he sees that blood, your firstborn child will be safe. But anyone who's not covered under the blood of that lamb their firstborn child will be taken from them. So the angel of death comes and you hear the screams of mothers and fathers and all kinds of people in that day who had no blood to cover their doors. And yet you have the children of Israel covered by the blood. And in that moment, they were released to go free. What Jesus, that was a picture that God painted of what Jesus has done for us. You have to be covered by the blood. That's where the pardon is found. It's not that you're guilty. It's not that you don't deserve death. But it's because somebody died for you. And he was able to do that because his life was perfect. And how do we know that? Because he rose again from the dead. You want to know why, this, why the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so important? Because without it, we're dead in our sins, the Bible says. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you can read that whole chapter. The Bible tells us that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the stamp of approval upon his sacrifice for you and I. You know, um, it, it, we, we don't have to question, did, you know, is Jesus enough? He's enough. How do we know? He rose again from the dead. And I would challenge you this morning to consider that there is plenty of evidence that Jesus was a real person, that, he, that his body was no longer in a tomb, and that his disciples then went on to die for that message. There's plenty of evidences to show that Jesus really did rise from the dead, but here's the thing. There will never be enough for you Because you will always have to act by faith. God requires us to act, uh, to believe upon Jesus by faith. We weren't there. We didn't see it. And yet he's asking you this morning, but do you trust me in what I said about my son? Will you put your life in my hands? Will you believe in my word? And here we are today, this morning. This is why we're here. Because we do, in fact, believe that Jesus Christ did rise from the dead. And that makes his sacrifice enough for us. This is why we are so excited about Jesus. This is why we, you know, we we get uh, on this day, on the resurrection day, why we are so overjoyed with this idea of what Jesus has done. Because this day means everything for us. Without this day, there is no pardon. But thankfully, because of this day, there is a pardon. Now, you might think, hey, that's pretty awesome, but what does this mean in verse 23? <laughs> if you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven them. If you withhold the for, for, uh, forgiveness of any, it's withheld them. He's talking to his disciples. Is he telling his disciples that they can walk around the world and say, you're not saved. You're not going to heaven, dude. And you, yeah, you can go. It's going to cost you. You know. No, he, he, that's not what he's saying at all. And in fact, what he's saying is that Because you're a sent one of Jesus, you're his ambassador. You're his spokesperson. You have the authority based on the message that you present, which is the gospel message. You have the authority to tell a person in that moment where they lie eternally. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you mean we judge people? No, we don't judge people. God does. But we tell people the truth. So when I come to somebody and I share the gospel with them, what does that mean? I mean, that means that I come to them and I say, make it real simple. Listen, we all sin, right? Oh, yeah, we, yeah. I've done things. I've done certain things. You've lied. You've stolen. You've done these different things or whatever. You've done something. You're a sinner. All people are sinners. That sin separates you from God. And the wages of sin is death. So you are eternally destined to die forever. But God doesn't want that for you, so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come into the world to live a sinless life, to die on a cross for you, to bleed his blood for you, so that you'd be covered under his blood. And then he rose again from the dead so that you too could rise again from the dead and be in eternity with him forever. That's the gospel. And you acknowledging those things and turning away from your sin and putting all your faith in Jesus, that's how you receive the gospel. And then in that moment, depending on how you receive that message, then I can say, listen, man, uh, you know, you came to Christ by faith, and, and you know what? Jesus proclaims that you're going to heaven. I can, I can tell people that because of the message that they received. It has nothing to do with them. It has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with Jesus at the same token. I can also say to somebody, listen, because you're rejecting the gospel, there is an eternity separation from God waiting for you because you, you're not willing to come by faith to Christ this morning or whenever it might be. And I can be certain about where you will spend your time, not because I know, but because Jesus told us. And as his ambassador, I can make that, that declaration. In every situation, no matter what, I can tell people those things. And that's what he's saying. If you forgive the sins of any, you can say, listen, Jesus paid the price for your sins. You're forgiven. I can say that with authority because he's able to do those things. But I can also say, if you reject that message, your sins are not forgiven. And you'll be dead in your sins. Listen, I lived 24 years of my life thinking I was a good person. 24 years of my life wasting my life not knowing that there was a bigger purpose in mind. I I didn't know that the purpose in life wasn't to just have fun and hang out with your buddies. I didn't know that. But it apparently is not that. It is to have fun and hang out with God's people and all those kinds of things. But there's a bigger purpose in mind. It's to make him known in this world. So 24 years, I lived my life thinking I was good until, and I thought I could work my way to God. I thought that I could do enough good things, help enough little ladies across the street and open car doors for people and those kinds of things that that would get me to heaven and that does not get you to heaven. And until you're put in a situation where you're faced with that, you're faced with the potential of dying, you don't think about that at 24 years old. You think that, this doesn't apply to me. Wrong. And so here's what happens. God puts a circumstance in my life where I start to have to face this idea of death. Three friends of mine died in a row. Boom, 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 died. And now I'm thinking, dude, one of them was 22 years old. One of them was like 23 years old. Uh, The other one was a little older. But, you know, I'm like boom, 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 and I start, now now I'm thinking about death at 24 years old. And I'm thinking, well, man, that sucks. What what happens when you die? Didn't grow up in church or anything. But I had people that shared the gospel with me and stuff like that. And I ended up starting to have anxiety, waking up in the middle of the night thinking I was dying because death was on my mind. I was thinking, man, what happens when you die? All these people that I know are dead. They didn't think they were going to die. They thought they were okay. And now, this reality of how good I am starts to weigh on me like, am I? Am I a good person? Is that enough? Man, I don't know. It doesn't feel enough to me. I had zero peace. And after waking my wife up for like the fourth time, she's like, you know, telling her, thinking I'm dying, she's like, go back to bed and die if you have to. I need sleep. (laughs) But... She's super black and white. I mean, I love her, but she just is, that's the way it is. (laughs) You know what God was doing? Getting me by myself. God was making me not depend on anybody else but him. And so I went through a period of time, and I'm not exaggerating, a couple years of trying to process this and thinking I was dying, I would be in a situation where I'd have been having lunch with people, being in a group with people, and I think, I'm dying right now. I am dying. They're, I'm going to be so embarrassed when I just fall down dead in front of all these people. <laughs> and this, I'm not kidding. These are the thoughts I had, but nobody knew it, right? Because I didn't want to seem like a crazy person. And so, you know, I process all this stuff, and one night I wake up once again thinking I'm dying, And I said, dude, enough is enough. I'm so tired of this. I'm so tired of being afraid of this. And I said, man, if I'm going to die, which I am going to die, you know, I will die one day. Everybody dies. So coming to that realization, so then what? What do I do? My beliefs of being a good person in that moment was not enough. I promise you that. And I said, you know what? What I know... What I know is that I need Jesus. That's what I know. I don't even know why I know that. I just know that. And so I'm going to put my faith in Jesus right now, like sincerely, like everything that I am, not just this like, hey, Lord, you know, come into my life kind of thing, like desperation. Like I got nowhere else to go. That's where you need to be. I got nowhere else to go, and I'm putting all my faith in you, Jesus. And I did it that night in the middle of my room, you know, by myself, I just, I just reached out to God. I said, God, I know that I'm a sinner and that I need, uh, uh, I need Jesus. I know that Jesus died on the cross for me. I knew these things. And that he rose again from the dead for me. I don't even know exactly the words I prayed. But here's what I do know. I woke up a different person. I woke up a totally different person. No longer, listen, no longer did I, I, I had a peace within me, number one. But my anxiety and stuff didn't go away. He didn't take me out of the circumstance immediately, but you know what did take me out of the circumstance? Reading his word. And you know what my life verse is to this day? Philippians 1.21, to live as Christ, to die as gain. When you allow his word to come and wash you, all of a sudden all those anxieties and fears and doubts and uncertainties just are washed away because you're filled with truth. And truth combats lies. And so, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say like, hey, I didn't struggle with anxiety right after that moment. I did. But here's the difference is it was okay because I was going to heaven. I knew it. I knew it. And my life radically changed. And from that day forward, the Lord has just been in a continual motion of revealing himself to me in different ways and revealing, you know, speaking into my life in different areas of my life, reminding me of what Jesus has done for me that he's pardoned me, that you know, no longer am I bound by the things that I was once bound by. I'm forgiven, and I receive that pardon, and the Lord wants to give you that pardon today. He wants to give you that potential to be forgiven. I don't know what your struggle is, but I know that God puts circumstances in our lives to bring us to a place to help us to see our need for him. You might be here today, and you're like, yeah, I don't, I don't really see that. Just wait. You know why? Because He loves you that much. He loves you that much that He will isolate you into a place where he, only He can speak peace into your life. He'll isolate you into a place that only He can bring purpose into your life. He'll put you in a place where only He can give you the power to do what you need to do. And He'll bring you to a place where only He can pardon you from the things that you need pardon from. Jesus' resurrection gives us this fourfold message of peace, of purpose, of power, of pardon. And here, here, here the reality is that we all need that here today, every one of us. Maybe you're a believer here today, and you know, you're lacking peace. You're lacking purpose. You're lacking power. You know you've been pardoned, but the other three apply to you. Guess what? Jesus is the answer. You come to the Lord and you say, Lord, I'm I'm lacking in this area and I know that you rose from the dead to give me victory in these areas of my life. You want to speak peace into my life. You want to reveal yourself and give me the purpose that, you know, you you put me on this earth for and, uh, you know, you want to give me the power to do those things. You as a believer today, you reach out to the Lord. Maybe you're off track. Maybe you need to recommit yourself to the Lord. Do that this morning. The Lord has made himself present here today in epic fashion, by the way. He rocked the grave. He shattered the grave. He, he conquered sin and death for you. So you can do that this morning. That's like, that's like a golf clap. Hey, thank, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. <laughs> hey, and if you are not pardoned this morning, may today be the day. Let me, and this isn't even super right to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. What do you have to lose? What do you have to lose this morning? If you don't know that you know that you know that you know that you're going to heaven right now, today is the day to make that clear. Today is the day to, to put that stake in the ground and say, Lord, I'm yours totally. What a better day to do that than today, man. There's no better day to do that on Resurrection Sunday because this day declares victory over our lives. Amen? Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word this morning and we are so grateful, Lord, for presenting yourself in this very first resurrection service in this manner. This, this is as real as it gets. Here we find your disciples shaking in their boots, afraid, Uncertain about what's to come even though you've told them over and over all the things that would happen here they are they're struggling and maybe that's some of us this morning we're in desperate need of you to make yourself present and here you are and you want to speak peace over our lives if that's you this morning you just tell them Lord I need your peace Come, bring your peace right now. We thank you, Lord, that you see every heart and you know. If you're lacking peace this morning, reach out to Jesus right now. Lord, I receive your peace. Lord, if you wouldn't have made yourself present in that moment, your disciples would have never went into the world. They would have never taken the the gospel message into the world. They would have stayed right there. And for some of us this morning, Lord, we are stuck. We don't understand our purpose. We have maybe come to faith in you, but we're not living our lives to make you known. And so if that's you this morning, you tell the Lord, Lord, I need to make you known, and I want to make you known. Help me to do that. I'm reaching out to you today, Jesus, that you would help me put the gospel message on fire in my heart that I couldn't but speak your words as I have opportunities. don't make me a crazy person, Lord, but help me to be able to share the gospel in a meaningful way to those around us. Give me the boldness to do so. And then you told your disciples that you would give them the Holy Spirit, Lord. In that moment, that they would have the power to be your witness unto, unto Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And you breathed your breath of life upon them. And they received your Holy Spirit. And they became your witnesses. And some of us this morning, Lord, are lacking the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Maybe in personal discipline or in corporate power of being your witness Lord we ask you even now we invite you to come in and empower us to be the witnesses that you call us to be you're the resurrected Savior and you want to give us power this morning and we receive that in Jesus name and then you told your disciples in that first resurrection Sunday service Lord that they had the power to forgive sins through the gospel message That they were your ambassadors and they had the power to tell people where their eternity lied based on how they would respond to the gospel message. And here we are. The gospel message has gone forward, Lord. And I have to think that there are some here in this room, Lord, that may not be in right relationship with you. And so we ask for boldness now for them to come, Lord, to turn their lives over to you. As we continue to pray, you're here this morning, and you are in that place where the disciples were, where you are in fear, where you are confused, and you're uncertain about your eternity. Today is the day that the Lord wants to call you into relationship with him. He wants you to acknowledge your sin. He wants you to acknowledge that you can't live the life that he's calling you to live to get to him. And that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you so that you could be forgiven. And then he rose again from the dead so that you could have newness of life. If you're here this morning and you're not in relationship with Christ, right now is the time to do that. I just want you to lift your hand up and I want to pray a prayer with you. Is there anybody in this place that wants to be in relationship with God? Have your sins forgiven to know that you know that you know that you're going to heaven. This is absolutely the best decision you'll ever make in your life. This is what you're on this earth for is to know him first and then to make him known. If that's you this morning, just lift your hand up. If you're online, the Lord sees you. God bless you. Is there anyone else? Anyone else that wants to be in right relationship with God? If God bless you. This is serious business, guys. Eternity is at stake. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. One last time, if you're not in right relationship with the Lord, lift your hand up. For those of you that have lifted your hand up, will you just pray this prayer with me? You can pray it in the quietness of your heart or pray it out loud if you like, but you just say, Lord Jesus, I come in Jesus' name now and I ask you to forgive me of my sins I acknowledge that I have sinned against you I turn my life over to you I want to make you the Lord of my life and I believe I can do so because you came you died on the cross and you rose again from the dead for me and I personally receive you as my Lord this morning now take me And use me however you will, Lord. I give my whole life to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, will you celebrate life with me? I want to leave you with one thought. Here's the thing that is what the resurrection is all about being born again receiving Christ so that you can be in eternity forever. That is what this day is all about, folks. Don't miss it. Don't make it some religious ritual, some tradition that you celebrate. Make it about what it's supposed to be about, and it's about the victory of Jesus Christ in our lives. Amen? Will you stand with me?